<laughs> His butt puckered a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I heard a clap. Shout out. <laughs> but hey, welcome to Bros of Murder, where uh, battle upsets me. <laughs> no, I don't. So what do we do here? We talk about true crime cases of color. We play music, and we just have a general good vibe, uh, a lip smacking vibe, right? Battle. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, but this episode, it's all about uh, conspiracy, or how I like to say, hotep shit, because that's just. I didn't realize that's what you meant when you say. Oh yeah, I definitely think of something entirely different from hotep shit. No. Yeah, I thought you meant actual hotep shit. Hotep shit. Is that like uh? Is that like from? Oh no. 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 It's it's more from. Oh, uh... I'm thinking emotep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of like the people on Instagram who like record videos in the grocery store talking about like there's negative ions in this fruit and it's causing you to like be less black and like it's poisoning or, your body. Or my favorite in a hotep is that uh, black guy in the woods who like scared that white woman by staring at her in a TikTok. Yeah. Ever seen that video? <laughs> and she's just. Yeah, I mean, he's got about. powerful eyes. His energy. Oh, oh okay. I, this is gonna be. I'm gonna edit this part out, but I have to show it to you. I'm gonna look it up right now. <laughs> that video is insane. Like the energy he exudes is just like powerful. Oh no, I've been wondering who this person. Oh. There is no such thing. I have seen this. Share this down. That you're watching this video. I can hear it. you're energetically aligned with me yeah. and this message. Are his your eyes real? Create your reality. I hope so. Well, you already knew that. Yeah. You still live a life that you dread. <laughs> Who screamed? <laughs> the woman. <laughs> His aura just terrified her. So I'm super excited about this episode. It's not a script. Conspiracy theories. I love them. Do you love them? So yeah, anyways. get past all of that sorry (laughs) (laughs) okay i want to start this episode off with an abstract by carl r hopper so the conspiracy theory of society is just a version of theism of a belief in gods where whims and wills rule everything the conspiracy theory of society is very widespread and has very little truth in it only when conspiracy theoricians come into power does it become something like a theory which accounts for things which actually happen. The conspiracy theorists will believe that institutions can be understood completely as the result of conscious design and as collective. He usually ascribes to them a kind of group personality, treating them as conspiring agents just as if they were individual men. As opposed to the view the social theorists should recognize that 
the persistence of institutions and collectives create a problem to be solved in terms of an analysis of individual social actions and their unintended unintended social consequences as well as their intended ones. In all social situations, we have individuals who do do things, who want things, who have certain aims. So, when you hear that abstract, what do you all think a conspiracy is? I think the that like kind of little reading that you just gave for us really reminds me of the current politics today. That like, you know, QAnon theorists weren't like mainstream until they became politicians. And then suddenly like they are allowed to kind of like color all of these institutions as having like agency. Um, and uh, it kind of reminds me, uh, like w- we talk about like maintaining the hegemony and stuff like that. Like these are not conscious efforts by like villainous people in the background. It's something <laughs> that everyone's like complicitly involved in. Like the like anti-blackness within like POC communities. Like it's a, like an evil thing that happens and everyone is involved with it. It's not just like, you know, some dude in a van who's like, tricking all these young people to stop thinking about themselves in a positive way. I I, I got from it that it can be very easy to fall into a conspiracy theory. Yeah. It's just... It is like convenient answers. Yeah, it starts with the question. Everyone, we're all human. You want your questions answered. And sometimes, even if it's a ridiculous answer, it may just be all you got. And you you can latch on to it. So then I guess, uh, where do we find the, the, like, the line between MKUltra and QAnon? Like, because there are legitimate conspiracies, and then there are just baseless, you know, I don't even I, have I an adjective for it. Is, is- I think the line really just comes out after the fact. Like the, the line gets shown when like the truth comes out, right? Because like when you first hear MK Ultra shit, it, you don't you, people thought it was just a conspiracy theory until like the truth came out and they're like, oh shit, yeah. that's real. Really that's real crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really did have men stare at goats. Like that's. <laughs> that's I guess that's the difference between like an actual conspiracy and then a conspiracy theory. Like when it becomes the legitimacy comes with it becoming an actual conspiracy, and then like the snowball effect just happens again because then they're like, well, if "That's true. What else is true?" Yeah, it's crazy too because like a sense like like y'all are all in a sense right because pretty much a conspiracy theory is just a belief that there's some covert but influential organization that's responsible for a certain circumstance or event or circumstances and events. So a big reason why there are a lot of conspiracy theories now or in general is because of bias. What happened? What'd I do? No, my, no, it's my cat. cat. Being noisy. Oh, oh I, I like cats. <laughs> You're cute. Ed- editing Andre doesn't like cats. But it's not just any type of bias, but as 538 puts, it's jumping to conclusions bias. But then again, that source comes from a site that is ran by Nate Silver, and that and its own can have its own bias, right? 
but we're not here to talk about Nate Silver today. We're here to talk about conspiracy. But it's interesting to think about how we can view each other when it comes to conspiracy theories. I know for me, it, for example, I don't follow them too much, and I have a hard time believing in conspiracy theories. But that can also be because of my background in the sciences. And a lot of times I have to be very analytical about the things that I research or the things that I do because I ha it has to be like fact-driven about the things that I find uh, versus things that could happen. It's like hearsay, right? Mm -hmm. So, Nerd. yes, I know. I think that's the thing for me is like the thing that I always look at when examining conspiracy theories is how many people would it take to keep a secret? Because, like, that's the biggest thing with a lot of the ones that are so rampant now. Like, like when people <laughs> when people talk about, like, doctors are have the cure to cancer, but they're keeping it from us. Like, I don't genuinely believe that every doctor, knew, like, could keep yeah. that secret. Or, like, the moon landing is fake. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, but, it like, involves Russians people. calibrate their telescopes off of shit we left on the moon. And they would benefit from being able to call us out on lying about that. And, and also, when it comes to conspiracy theories, the big question I like to ask is, why? <laughs> yeah. A lot of these conspiracy theories are like, all right, yeah, no, but why would someone do that? They never have an answer for you. <laughs> it's bias, and it, a lot of it's just bias, What it, which I found to be true. But then again, it's my bias. It's so, it's so, it's so deep. It's so, it's so... I mean, that's natural. Everything <laughs> yeah. Has, Jesus so, so tense. Yeah, like what do you have? Like, is that how stun people flirt? <laughs> yeah, my my dick is dense. Well, check out my density density of this fluid. But whatever. So, according to this research article called "Thinking Preferences and Conspiracy Belief: Intuitive Thinking and Jumping to Conclusion Bias as as a Basis for the Belief in Conspiracy Theories" by Nico, Daniel, and Stephanie Mill. While there's no date, okay. While there is to date no research con concerning shared underlying cognitive underpinnings of belief in conspiracy theories and paranoid ideation, jumping to conclusion bias is something that may be the leading factor, as said before. And what does that actually mean, right? Essentially, what what it is, is that despite of lack of evidence, even though we have a small amount of evidence, we jump to conclusion without having everything or knowing everything. So, does it sound familiar of like what you know? I think everyone is, can be guilty of it or everyone is guilty of it. it could, not only is it familiar, but at times we all fall victim to it. So, today as we go through cases, excuse me. As the team goes through cases, because I'm not giving you a case today, sorry. Try try to listen. I, I, I want to challenge our listeners and you all too to try to listen and see if you're able to distinguish where the fallacy in the conspiracy cases that will be presented today lie. With that being said, K Money, we're gonna we're gonna pick this shit apart and figure out what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay. So, mine is a little weird. I decided to read The Turner Diaries. Didn't finish it because it was hella fucking painful. But <laughs> took a lot of notes and read a lot of 
articles and stuff. <laughs> I have to- she Charlie date it. Oh my god, you don't you can't uh you can't see the paper. I have so much shit. Uh, You're on a watch list for sure. Oh, I am. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to buy the book because I would not have spent money on that. But um, so I guess the whole thing is the Turner Diaries has been cited in a lot of different like white supremacist actions. Like, as I'm sure you're familiar with, Timothy McVeigh is one of the biggest ones, which just a quick overview. Ironically, um, he, if people don't know, I would imagine they do. But in 1994, I believe he bombed the Oklahoma City FBI building and they found pages of this book in his car. And they also, he had a week prior to bombing the building, told his sister that something big was going to happen and shipped her or uh, sent her in the mail a few pages out of the book. There are other terrorist organizations and um, terrorist actions that resulted from people who had read this book. So it's kind of scary, like how a book could be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sparked a lot of debate on censorship because if a book can incite that level of violence. I mean, the the thing too about the Oklahoma City bombing is that it directly mirrors one of the events in the book down to the, the, the way in which the bombing happened, how the bomb was made and that, that kind of stuff. So, oh, and then the other thing that the terrorist group called themselves the Order in, I, I believe the eighties, which was they, directly took the name from the organization in the book. The overall organization, the terrorist organization in the book is called the organization, but their elite forces are called the order. So that was a direct pull from the book. And I guess, I guess the overview is essentially. So I haven't read the Turner Diaries. Like, is this a nonfiction book? Is this a fiction book that inspired people? It's a fiction book. So the um, I was gonna pull up the synopsis real quick, but um, but it's essentially it takes place. Well, there's different things. I think there's different versions of it. It takes place in uh, mine in 1981, but in like other versions, it's 1991. But essentially, he there's some big day of like the government takes everyone's guns away and he is ends up being radicalized by that especially when a few years later he is found to be continuing to own guns even though they're completely illegal and the concept is like because of liberation like women's lib and black liberation movements like i guess they think that things are flipped so the way that like we view um, black people being treated in our country today that's the way that they view white people being treated so it's like almost the exact opposite and their whole thing is not it's so weird how Mm -hmm. no sorry no no you're fine that's so weird how they think that white people think that it's them being treated the way people of color are being treated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when if we look at the majority of like, how like the tables have turned, the world is white. And be clear, everyone that's listening, white people doesn't just mean white Americans. Like the world is white. Like the world is white. Well, I mean, uh, it the, all the, starts the, with. What you're looking for is uh, Eurocentric. 
the Eurocentric, okay. Biggest colonizers being the British. I mean, the fact that we have the phrase that like the sun never set on the British Empire, I feel like should demonstrate the entire reach of like whiteness and white supremacy and all that. I mean, all of the places that were colonized by the British have suffered greatly while the British took their resources. So, but yeah, it's just, the thing that's crazy is like, they they see themselves as the victim, the way like subjugated and marginalized, the way that black people have actually been in our country. And I think the, the most interesting thing is like, the difference there, though, is, you know, marginalized groups now, they want equality, they want justice, whereas white people who see themselves as a victim, they they don't want that. They want to dominate. They want power at the expense of everyone around them. They see, like, they see it as, or at least in the book, these, you know, neo-Nazis and all that. They see the rights being wronged as dominating other over other groups. The kind of like loss of privilege equals oppression. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good. I like that. I can't call and, the N word anymore out in public. They have my rights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, it's coming from people who think that they're like superior. Like actually, like you, you want me to like debase myself by treating someone who's less than me as equal. Mm-hmm. I guess it's thinking about looking at how the South is right now when it comes to Confederate monuments, and they're just like, oh, they're taking a part of history away. And it's like, right? Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I recently saw a TikTok that was equating the defacement of, I don't know if that's a word, but it is for now, of um, <laughs> the, the George Floyd statue that they just put up. I don't remember where it was, but I think we all saw it at some point. It's like, it almost looks like paper, where he's got the different levels that make his face. Someone defaced it. And I remember seeing this this person on TikTok making the argument of, well, what do you expect when we've taken down all of these Civil War um, monuments? And it's like, how can you equate these two things? One of them was a victim. The other were like reasons. oppressors <laughs> yeah was he was was that person saying it in a way that they're defending the confederacy or were they saying it like well yeah it happened because other people were de- taking down the like you know what i mean because like if if i see step or like monuments going up like that i expect it to get vandalized because people that have this super crazy tie to like confederate or racist monuments are going to be like fuck this, they took our statues down, so I'm going to do the same thing. So did he mean it that way, or did that person mean it that way, or the other? No, it was more like, 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 I see what you're saying, but I don't think that they were doing it in the way that it's like, well, yeah, that's their retaliation. It was more like, well, of course, because you, you, you don't Uh, respect their monuments, so why would they respect yours? Which it's like, apples and oranges. Well, yeah, it's the total lack of understanding of context. Like, even Mm -hmm. just the fact that these statues did not go up after the Civil War. Like, the majority of them went up during the, like, 70s Mm -hmm. and, like, late 60s, you know? And you even had people like uh, General Lee who said, like, yeah, I don't think we should have statues for the Confederacy. I think we should, like, try to heal the country. Like, Yeah, that's the most ironic part is that he specifically... 
Yeah, he Eric specifically said he didn't want. Who doesn't glorify their fucked up ass? Yeah. Yeah. How many stats? Not like they have. That's not my business. Mm hmm. Actually, that's interesting. There, um, let me see if I can find it. There is a quote in here specifically about Germany. He says. What's happening now is reminiscent of the media campaign against Hitler and the Germans back in the 1940s. Stories about Hitler flying into rages and chewing carpets. Phony German plans for the invasion of America. Babies being skinned alive to make lampshades and then boiled down into soaps. Girls kidnapped and sent to Nazi stud farms. The Jews convinced American people that... Stud farms? Yeah. yeah. The Jews convinced the American people that those stories were true and the result was World War II. With millions of the best of our race butchered by us and all the Eastern and Central Europe turned into a huge communist prison camp. Wow, so they're like full mask off Nazi. <laughs> oh my God. They're Holocaust denying Nazis. How? Like that's such a weird like intersection of people who are like, yeah, obviously the Third Reich was real and like, but they didn't do any of that stuff. Well, yeah. And the like, thing too that I find the most interesting is that a lot of the stuff, and this is, I just want a disclaimer that a lot of these things are just things that I notice and like, I don't know. Anyway, but like a lot of the stuff in this book are things that I hear is like the same thing that like, you know, the conservative talking heads say. The only thing, the only difference in my opinion is that the things that talking heads say yeah, it's it's much. This is much more overt, whereas the things that they say are much more um, watered down in a way that's more palatable to the average person. Because I feel like, yeah, the average like person who watches that stuff, if you sit there and say, "Well, we need to do what the Nazis do," they're gonna be like, "Nah." But if you like code it and do yeah, like a dog. Yeah, if you have like Ben Shapiro saying, "Well, Megan Thee Stallion is an artist," and she can't. She can't yeah. sing about WAP. We can't have people like that representing us. Or like Tucker, Tucker Carlson, I think is like the That's biggest exactly. example. Like he talks about white replacement theory all the time. That whites are being replaced in the United States by like the boogeyman that is like mixed race people. Yeah. And then you got this. And, then, and then you have people like Candace Owens shucking and jobbing for a <laughs> rifting for a, for a bill. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like. Well, and it's just, it's some of the same arguments today that, um, that this book makes, like, I mean, it was written in, uh, 78. It was actually a part of a newspaper series in a neo-Nazi, uh, uh, publication, but then they turned it into a book that you could, like, mail order. And one of the things that they talk about is, oh, that the government's going to make this passport system so that they can track you. What does that sound like? COVID tonight. Oh yeah, they go put mm -hmm. the chip in your arm. Like, well, exactly, because they specifically say, um... And I'm saying, like, oh, you're gonna have the chip in your arm, bro. Um, bitch, don't you have an iPhone? They're tracking you anyway. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too, because even in 1978, we had social security cards, we had credit cards, like, we are already being tracked. You know, like to sit here and say, well, now you have to have a passport with a magnetic strip. Like they already know what we're doing. There's already a paper trail, you know, to, to sit there to say like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to have to hear our episodes before anyone else. 
unedited. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the CIA listening now. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. all, all of them. All four of them. They had their own gang. <laughs> Do you think they have their own Zoom meeting where we all meet? We'll talk about it afterward. <laughs> These son of a bitches. <laughs> I like to think they're fans. And the other interesting thing um, is they also talk about that in the book specifically, so they're, they are a, like a self-admitted terrorist organization. And what they're trying to do is, one of the things that they're trying to do at least, is they are doing these acts of terror and killing people so that the government has a knee-jerk reaction and becomes more oppressive because they believe that if they make the government, if they force the government's hand to be more oppressive to protect people, more people will sympathize with them. Because, like, they're pushing the government to do the thing that they don't want it to do. I mean, like, when they think like about, using like... using the government to radicalize the youth. Exactly. Yeah. Or radicalize the people who are on the fence. You know what I mean? Like... Fox News. Yeah. Oh, oh and, God. <laughs> Fox Soul is even worse. I don't know why they're there. Why are you there? And why is it called Fox Soul? And why is it all purple? I see who you're trying to get. You're not going to get me, Fox. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. What is Fox Soul? It's just Fox for black people. That's literally what Fox Soul is. Oh, God. And that's why they call, that's why I've they call it. I've never heard of that. That's why they call it Fox Soul. And that's why everything's purple and everyone's black. Because that's, how, that's what Fox thought. Like, oh, you know what black people love? Soul food. We're going to make it on a Sunday, too. And I also, so one of the other things that I find interesting about the book is like, I don't know how to articulate this as well as I would like, but it's like a lot of the ways that they view things are like, like, in a sense, we're kind of two sides of the same coins, like the things that we all fight for and the things that they all fight for. The difference, like, or at least in the ways in which we like view that stuff, the difference is like people like us want to help others, whereas what they're trying to do is like the opposite. Like return to traditionalism and keep everyone mm -hmm. quiet and like submissive. Well, yeah, because like they sit there and say, well, the average American is just like kind of like not really tuned in. Like they they seem to think that liberalism is just people not caring like they're just going along with the flow which is ironic because like i think that it's quite the opposite even still today like it's easy to be the status quo is more this conservatism that we have you know at least in our country yes i think like the moderates in the united states are very far right oh, yeah, I mean, to other like ocd nations because i mean even the left is right yeah, but, I mean, like compared to other yeah. people's politics. Compared, yeah, because compared to others, the left is like pretty moderate. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they think all the same things that we think about them, but the difference is that that they are values. specifically divisive. Yeah, the the core values are what changes because the thing I find the most interesting is like with everything that happens, like like with you know last year, like the rot, like the the protests and all those things like we're trying to like help as many people as possible whereas like the the things like in this book i mean even like what what timothy mcveigh did in real life they would rather sacrifice their own to yeah, as a means goal. to an end yeah 
Like they're not, at the end of the day, it's all about individualism. And if they have to like kill their own people, they will. I'm so curious about that book and I kind of want to read it. Well, I mean, it's a shout out to Kelly for sitting through so Taking much conservative fan fiction yeah. I didn't. for this episode. <laughs> yeah, she didn't go off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just like hurts my brain. I was Well, so do you think that there's like anything of value that like can be gotten from the book? This like, you know, this, you know, white oppression conspiracy theory. I think See, I I don't know because it's like I It's I think it's it's valuable to understand why they believe what they believe. But, like, I think once you get to this level, like, that there's no turning back. Yeah, because, like, I I mean, I've had plenty of debates with people who, like, not, who aren't, who don't consider themselves this far, but still, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's all around that. Yeah. And, like, the, the level of cognitive dissonance is astounding and like denial of facts or statistics because there's always like you can always fucking look some bullshit up that supports your argument on the internet and that's like part of the problem is that we've let so much um and then it's hard to distinguish between like fact versus fiction exactly and like you're trying to say like you're like you're trying to like, you're gonna argue with somebody about this shit and like you'll source your material from like like from like from academia you have like a legitimate source it'll be like well academia is against us too it's like so everyone's against you huh that's like a, <laughs> that deep yeah and if, it's, if it doesn't directly tell you that you're right that means everyone else is against you well i mean it's, it's strange it's like the the people at the top of the pyramid see all these people who like want to get to the top of the pyramid and they're like well they're clearly conspiring against me and i'm oppressed yeah like motherfucker what well i mean and that's the thing too is like that is the most successful tool of white supremacy that exists is that it is so divisive among like like all the lines that we consider intersectional they're so good at breaking those things apart and like making it so that you don't trust stuff i mean you know divide and conquer and all that right well and like the amount of you know uh liberal neo-nazis who are like well yes you know white queer person or yes white woman like you were oppressed at one point, but now you're not. And all these people are trying to take away your rights and they're going to make you oppressed by getting them equality. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the tools of white supremacy can be used like to attack people who are also you know, marginalized at the fear of losing more. Yeah, fear mongering goes a long way. Yeah. So that, yeah, there's so many dips and crevices, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on that note, we'll take a small break. And now, a short commercial break. All right, so Robert, we'll kick us off. Because mine's like more murder-esque. So, well, okay. it's directly murder. I really like that, Kelly. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was really, I am so, really like, I'm so curious to hear more, like, to be honest with you. Yeah, we, should do, we should do a series where Kelly just reads the, <laughs> the whole book. I'll just do book reports from now on. <laughs> this is like my second Let's one. Do a, I didn't read the first one. We'll do audiobooks, but we just shit on it the whole time. Oh, I would love that. I have so many <laughs> from Audible that I've I, I feel like doing this whole thing the whole time. I just felt like that dude from Ancient Aliens. I'm just like, aliens. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh my brain is mush. So there, there are actually some like crossovers from what you were saying with my case. So mine is set during the 1980s with uh, Ronald Reagan as president. Um, but oh, yeah. for a little bit of... That's Nixon. Hi. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for a little bit of background information, uh, the United States has always had a war, you know, with like left-leaning ideologies, communism, socialism. Like we have gone to war many times protecting like, you know, our ideals on the United, on the global scale. And in the 1980s, one of the biggest points of contention for that ongoing conflict was in South America. Um, there were two groups that we're going to be talking about today called the Sandinistas and the Contras. So the Sandinistas were a left-leaning organization that were, you know, uh, akin to like Che Guevara and like other communists in South America. So when the Sandinistas came to power, there was a rebel group that was fighting them, that was against them called the Contras. So the United States saw this group, you know, as fighting for you know, American ideals in South America, South and Central America, that, you know, they would not have to directly go to war with any of these nations. They wouldn't have to put U.S. troops on the ground, but they could support the destabilization of, you know, a left group. So this was all in Nicaragua. The Sandinistas were the current government. So the United States began supporting this rebel organization to destabilize the Sandinista government. And that, that aspect of it isn't a conspiracy theory. There's no um, kind of ifs, ands, or buts about that. The United States in the early, late 70s did give money to the Contras to aid in their fight against communism. The kind of vibe in the United States at the time was like, we have a lot of suffering that's happening and I don't think we should be giving money to like random rebel groups. So, you know, US government actually introduced called the Bolin Act, kind of a moratorium on giving these people money. So the Central Intelligence Agency, they were still heavily involved with funding the Contras or giving aid to the Contras. They were just no longer allowed to give them money, but the Contras still had to be, you know, outfitted. They still needed weapons. They still needed money to be able to fight the Sandinistas. The way that happened was through less than legal means. So fast forward a little bit, um, there was an article, a series of articles that was released to the San Jose Mercury News by a reporter called Gary Webb. The name of the series was Dark Alliance. And this is actually one of the first examples of like news going viral. So Gary Webb was able to find a few CIA assets. And so that kind of language is very important here. You know, you have employees of the CIA or CIA agents, and then you have CIA assets. But so those are people who are working directly with the CIA but aren't like, you know, being paid directly so like or contractors. Well, so they, they don't actually get money, but they're like, uh, it's kind of similar to an informant, but like, so the like the Contra assets were people who were, you know, doing illegal things necessarily, like operating outside of the US government, but the CIA was helping them occasionally being like, okay, well, here's some of our intelligence that you can use. So giving them, you know, non-monetary resources. You know, later we'll see that the CIA really walks the line with asset versus agent. So Gary Webb, he finds a few of these assets who, you know, like there's this guy who was picked up selling drugs 
in LA and he was held at, a, at an intake facility. And he said, hey, I need to make a call. And then he made a call to allegedly Quantico and then he was released. So the, the conspiracy there is that this drug dealer made a call to someone in the CIA and the CIA was like, yes, he's one of our assets, release him. And then he would continue to sell drugs. So Nicaragua obviously had a lot of cocaine that came out of it. So one of the ways that the Contras, this illegal rebel group, was able to make money to fight the Sandinistas was by selling cocaine. However, the United States at the time was kind of flooded with cocaine at the current demand. So because, you know, people, who, the only people who could afford cocaine because it was so expensive were very wealthy, the amount of buyers for cocaine was kind of low. You know, it was only like, you know, wealthy Wall Street people, you know, celebrities. So around this time, you know, there's no exact dates that crack came onto the scene. Everyday people, you know, in, you know, projects and things like that, found out how to make crack cocaine. Um, or freebase cocaine. So, it, you know, doing some like backyard chemistry, they were able to make it. I just want to, I want to, I want to interject. Super, super quick. strong. I didn't. Yes. I, so I heard the term freebasing before. I thought it meant like base jumping. Oh, freebase. Yeah. So when I went uh, to Mountain Warfare School, we had to, we had to like scale, like ascend and descend like a sixty foot cliff. I'm descending it, and then I shouted out, "I'm freebasing!" Because I thought that freebasing meant. Oh. And everyone kind of just like, everyone, when I got down to the ground, everyone was like, what did you say? I was like, oh, I said I was free basing. And you're like, do crack? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was the ball, and I was basing it out. <laughs> so crack cocaine essentially is, you know, much more addictive, much stronger. Um, but it's, it's cocaine. It's just a new way to do cocaine. Um, but because it can be made in like, such large quantities and like sold for so cheap, it became very popular in poor communities. So uh, again, this part of, the S of our kind of discussion is not conspiracy. The crack epidemic of the 80s is well documented. It destroyed communities, specifically in Los Angeles and all, you know, East Coast too, but like LA is kind of like ground zero for like the crack epidemic. So there were politicians. Uh, I think the most noble one is Maxine Waters. She has been doing incredible work for years and years and years. She reads this article by Gary Webb that is saying like, hey, the CIA is helping these people who are selling drugs. And I think it's because they're aiding Contras. He's making those connections. He didn't directly call anybody out or like say anything overtly, but the tone of the piece is the United States government is allowing drug dealers to come into the United States to fund a war in the South America. She kind of starts this community organizing campaign of how much of this is true. We need to get to the bottom of this. What is going on? All of this leads to a CIA investigation done by the uh, attorney general. So at the time, the attorney general, you know, he is the person who is supposed to like, you know, be the checker of the CIA. So it's not like the CIA investigating themselves, but it's kind of like the US government checking itself, you know? And the findings that, you know, the attorney general came back with was, the CIA did not have any operatives directly engaged in the drug trade. And hey, hey, you sound like cracked in here. <laughs> no. So, and that's when we get back to this discussion of operative versus asset. So they, when he testifies in front of Congress, including Maxine Waters, they're like, okay, so 
of the assets, do you know, were any of them drug dealers? And they say, yes, we know that there are rumors that many of them were engaged in the drug trade. And they're like, well, did you investigate any of those rumors? And they said, yes, we investigated some of the rumors. So it's when I watch the testimony that they gave, it's very much them saying, we knew that some of them were engaging in the drug trade. We investigated some of them, and some of them were not engaged in the drug trade. It is not our policy to work with drug dealers. However, even though we did. But. Yeah, and, uh, you know, major drug dealers in LA um, have testified and said, all of the drugs that I got came from Nicaraguans. At that time, I bought all of my cocaine that I turned into crack from Nicaraguans. I don't know who those people were on, um, but they were always around and they always had cocaine. So this is where we kind of step into the conspiracy aspect of, you know, we've seen it a thousand times, like joked about that the CIA planted crack cocaine in the inner city, which is that true? Kind of debatable. Did they allow crack cocaine to be sold in the United States? Yes. They knew that drug dealers that they were working with were bringing drugs in and out of the United States. And instead of like passing those names and stuff along to appropriate authorities to have them arrested, they potentially turned a blind eye while they did those things. And the the guy, Gary Webb, who wrote this article, Dark Alliance, um, he, Gary Webb, no, kind of cool. Dark Alliance. <laughs> oh, Dark Alliance, yeah. <laughs> Gary <laughs> Webb. Gary Webb. Gary. <laughs> like, it kind of reminds me of like Spider-Man, but. <laughs> Gary Webb, yeah, that's badass, man. <laughs> Uh, so Gary Webb's uh, career kind of fell apart at that point. You know, all the major news articles kind of did hit jobs on his piece. And they were like, you know, this is not good reporting. Like, it doesn't have enough details. Um, his defense of this was like, okay, well, I am a single journalist who is trying to track the CIA in a foreign country. How, mu- how much evidence do you realistically like expect me to be able to get? But a direct result of Dark Alliance was the Attorney General's investigation. So like in that aspect, it was a very successful article. You know, it was used as like a touchstone for people like Maxine Waters to like rally the community to like get some answers about what was happening on U.S. soil. It, it did its job, basically. Yeah. So Gary Webb would go on to commit suicide later. Um, allegedly, there are many oh. people in this. <laughs> this goes into the like conspiracy aspect um, who believe he was suicided by someone. Okay, yes, okay. Uh, so Gary Webb was found dead in his apartment um, by self-inflicted gunshots, plural, to the head. Gunshots? Yes. So he had two gunshots to the head. They didn't even try to hide. Did they, when he they committed fuck suicide. Up, did the CIA fuck up the first one and it just kept going? Yeah, uh, the death was ruled a suicide, um, and there's lots of people who don't agree with that, you know, uh, who said, like, you know, someone kills themselves, they don't typically do two shots. Um, Remember that case that yeah. I covered a few, uh, few episodes? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the same thing. Where, yeah, he was found dead in the desert and with multiple gunshot wounds, and he killed himself. It's like... Yeah, shit wasn't that, no. Uh, yeah. Something the book ain't clean. Yeah. So the this has all been a very uh, 
roundabout way of saying, I believe that the CIA is complicit in the crack epidemic in the United States. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's like men in suits showing up with, you know. Suitcases full of crack. Suitcases <laughs> full of crack. Like, hey, young kid, new drug for you. Here you go. But it was like, you know, hey, so-and-so is coming through town. Please don't pick them up. They're going to be, you know, flying into this airbase and they're going to be leaving behind some packages. Don't look inside them. Oops, I just dropped some crack. Hope no one picks it up and smokes it. (laughs) It's so crazy how, Um, like, our own government sabotages us, especially the poorest or, like... But I mean, I guess that's obvious. the, the, The most fucked up part about this for me is that, you know... The, the U.S. government decided, you know, we can't be giving money to, like, some foreign group to, like, do all this stuff, like, with our tax dollars, because that's going to hurt the average American. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to forcibly extract money from poor communities with addiction to do the exact same thing. So it was a way of taking the, the financial burden off of the entire nation and putting it on vulnerable communities. And then putting back into, this is another conspiracy theory, putting back into the prison system, the private yeah. prison system. Well, yeah, because free labor. The war on drugs. Damn. Oh, yeah. Also, the war on drugs during this exact same period, there was like a one to 100 rule. So if you were found with one gram of cocaine, you'd be treated with X sentence, mandatory minimum. But if you're found with one gram of crack, it would be treated as 100 grams of cocaine. Which I don't understand, because isn't uh, crack just the solid form? Uh, It's activated. So I am not a chemist. I do not understand. But the term freebase comes from adding, uh, like certain chemicals to cocaine to free the base of it and make it smokable. Only if you're in a mountaineering group. Is it, like, it just, it hurts my brain that, like, they're, they're fucking pumping drugs into these communities and then, like, declaring a fucking war on them. Like, it's just, it's, it's just, ugh. Yes. Because they didn't want to declare war on communists and Central and South America. They said, instead, we'll just go to war with black people. In our own country. And then, we can, and, then we can, and then we can put them in private prisons. We got cheap yep. labor. We'll start. And then we can use that to like perpetuate all of the worst stereotypes about the black community and destroy any economic... And also, uh, around this time, too, is at a time America. period where judges would offer people uh, they can go to prison or you can join the army. <laughs> mm, interesting. It's happening around the exact same time. They stopped it afterwards. People were like, hey, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> you're, giving, you're forcing people to join to avoid prison time instead of having it, people want to do it. It also reminds me kind of what you were talking about at the very beginning battle was that, like, you know, was it conspiracy where these people, like, I'm going to, like, make people addicted in the inner city? No, probably not. But it was an unintended consequence of something else. Yeah. And they were willing to be um, like, oopsie. Yeah, I'm exactly. sorry. It's not even like that. It's just like, well, we don't really give a shit about these people, so fuck them. Yeah. Collateral damage. Yeah. Shit. Well, so moving on, mine is a uh, conspiracy. It's pretty gay, and it's also pretty spooky in a weird way. I like all of those things. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so now, uh, 
I also just I don't know this wait bat, was it you battle who hates unsolved mysteries or do you hate missing people? Oh, like in general or yes, like, I do hate he, unsolved. Oh. Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> in general, I don't like the unsolved anxiety. mysteries. Like I don't like it makes me so uncomfortable, especially so now, in the digital age. Yeah. You really don't hate this because it has to do with a lot of those things. So now, nothing is more mysterious than an unsolved murder. Battle can attest to that. <laughs> and uh, some unsolved murders leave a wake of questions. Like, uh, how did a body get into a suitcase? How to get mummified? <laughs> Who is this man? All those questions will be answered partially by the end of my, uh, my piece. Only half, only half, half answered. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to get all of them, <laughs> but we're going to get some. So now, uh, my case is about Doreen Corey, who was a transgender black drag performer from New York. Uh, she was from Buffalo, New York. She was born in Franklin Leg, and really just had as average of a life that a transgender black woman in the 1940s could have. <laughs> uh, she was raised on a farm, and she performed drag while living in Buffalo. So in the 50s, uh, Doreen worked as a window dresser and then saved up some money and moved to New York to go to school for design. Uh, in 1960s, she was actually, she actually toured as like a high profile snake dancer. And uh, one of the places she performed at was called the Pur uh, the Pure, damn it, Pearl <laughs> Box Cabaret. That's like one of her, her main drag spots. Uh, she was one of four performers who also appeared in a uh, performance in 1972 called Call Me Mr. She also founded her own voguing house called the House of Corey. And if you aren't aware of what a voguing house is, it's where a lot of like drag performers go to perform drag, practice, be around their own people with community, safely you know for, for a lot of those people it becomes like a second family or just a family in general uh her yeah, drag and it's, a, it's a lineage thing oh yeah so like a, a drag performer will say i am so and so of house so and so then they have a drag mother and stuff like that and yeah. kind of like a, it's like, really kind of like how game of thrones have, has houses i did not know that like house of targaryen yeah. or but, something but yeah. but, but, but with <laughs> even more flair yeah much better oh, yes. costuming. So now, the, so, now the House of <laughs> so the House of Corey uh, held over 50 grand prizes from Boging Balls. Uh, she was a house mother to a drag performer called Angie Extravaganda, who later be had her own house startup and was featured in Paris is Burning, which is a great just queer movie. Uh, Doreen Corey was actually depicted in Paris is Burning. That's how like poppin' she was and like important to drag performance in New York. Uh, she ran and designed a clothing label called Corey Design, and at one point, she had this crazy performance where it involved her wearing a 30 by 40 foot feather cape. Once, so during the performance, she would shed down her costume to a sequence body stocking. Two attendants would then raise up the cape on poles, and the whole feather cape would drape the audience like a giant tent with her in the center. It sounded like a fucking amazing ass thing to see. <laughs> It's imagine seeing a woman come out in a full feather costume and then that costume turns into a tent that you're under. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> so now, three years after the movie Paris' Burn was released, Corey did die of AIDS-related complications. 
and her extensive costume collection was just up for grabs. So now the main person, Lewis Taylor, was her caregiver and just took care of her in her, you know, sickly times. And she and a friend went to her apartment to pick up some clothes for Halloween. So they went to Corey's apartment to sort their clothes, and then in the back of her large closet was a large trunk. They pulled out that large trunk. It was heavy. They opened it up, and there was a bunch of like garments over top of it, but they didn't they couldn't figure out why it was so heavy. So they were moving up layers and layers of garment. And she finds this big, huge Ziploc bag. So she had trouble with the zipper of the bag and got a pair of scissors. She took the scissors, cut it open, and was immediately hit with like a horrible smell. So they all left out the room, you know, got some air, came back in, ripped it open, and inside was the body. How big was the Ziploc bag? It was a big, it was a a big ass bag, <laughs> big ass Ziploc bag. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm using the word Ziploc, not Ziploc bag, but it's like a plastic, a big plastic bag. Oh, okay. Inside of a trunk with clothes on top of it, filled with baking soda. So they called the police right away, and in the article that I, I read about it from that time, they interviewed her, and she said, "I called the police and I walked out. I couldn't look at the shit. I didn't want to." <laughs> so the. I mean, yes. Yeah, no, I get it. So now the body was also so within that within the trunk, under the blankets, in the plastic bag, beneath the baking soda, the body was also wrapped in saran wrapped. And this was just to cover up the smell of decay from escaping the trunk. That's why all that shit was on there. So now at the time, the unidentified person was only wearing a t-shirt and boxers. The body was so decayed that authorities had to actually it was like they got like an acid-based solution to uh, get rid of all the shit on the fingers. And then they use some type of resin to plump it up so they can get a partial fingerprint just to like try to identify who it was. But everything that they did worked and they got a partial print. The police were able to identify the person as a person named Robert Bobby Worley who had prior convictions for rape and assault, among other things. He had like a huge history of just being like a kind of a shit. Worley had last been seen by his family in 1968. So now, clues found on the body being uh, like a vintage beer can lid suggested that the dead body was at least 15 to 25 years old. Hmm? So he's 15 to 25 years old. So they estimated, oh, wow. that, they estimated that he was in that trunk for at least 15 to 25 years. Oh. He wasn't was 15 of- to 25 years old. He no, 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 no. He was a grown man, but the body was okay. Okay. dead. He, he was dead. Yeah, he was dead before 15, 25 years. And uh, he was mummified, and they said that he was mummified. He was mummified due to the fact that he was wrapped in saran wrap, and then the baking soda was pepped on top of him, so there wasn't that much like oxygen getting moisture. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So it kind of perfectly preserved him in a weird, morbid way. But still, no one knew, like how they got to connection to each other, who he was. Her friends never heard of a Robert Bobby Worley. They don't recall Doreen ever bringing him up or anything like that. Was he known around the scene? No. Like, was he was he... just a nor- like, hmm. He had no connection to drag whatsoever. So now some of Corley's fellow drag queens speculated that 
he was shot and it felt robbery. So that's what their first thought was, that he was shot in a robbery. However, a report from New York Magazine at the time was able to dig up some clues to their relationship. They found out that, so they got in contact with his family finally, and his brother told him that Bobby called him while drunk once and rambled about a girl named Doreen that he just got to a fight with. Lewis Taylor also told report also told reporters that Doreen actually wrote a short story about a transgender woman who killed her lover in revenge after he pressured her to have a sex change. And they said that when you read it, it kind of was like dating on the low. Yeah. So then the only people who would have answers are dead. So that's kind of where the story ends. Well, that is where the story ends. They have no answers. But I am curious to see where you guys as speculations on it. I'll go uh, battle. Um, I think. I don't know what I think. I don't. I need more. <laughs> like, I don't like this. I don't know if Doreen killed him. Yeah, his yeah. But then, like, he was a bad person, a good, right? Yeah, he's not the nicest person. <laughs> like. So, I don't know. Like. Doreen, she died of natural causes. Well, yeah, she died of natural causes because it was natural to her. So, oh, okay. so his body, like, he was, he did have a bullet. That's okay. I, 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 I forgot to mention. Uh, he died via gunshot. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Robert had a bullet wound. Well, like they said in Chicago, he well, had so, yeah, it coming. I think that's probably the most likely scenario is that they were dating. Because he was, you know, potentially pressuring her to get a sex change. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he got violent and it somehow ended with him being shot. Because we know that this is a person who has a history of violence. So that, you know, and I don't think we know that about no, her. No, history, never be like... He even has a history of sexual yeah. assault. So, like... Kelly, what do you think? Right. Uh, I mean... Yeah. I don't know, but... I have a tendency to think that whatever it was, it was probably justified. Especially with his history, like... Yeah, well, and that's what makes me think it's not, like, a robbery gone wrong. Because, like, if the person was... Why would it be in his underwear? Right, exactly. If they were robbed and shot, like, the best way to get away with that is just leave the body and take off. Or if it was in... Don't touch it. But where were his clothes? Where was the rest of his clothes? No, it was just him in a a t-shirt underwear. Which is why I'm thinking that... It probably because they didn't specify the brother didn't specify when he called him. Uh, they just didn't seem as like 1968, so like 15, 25 years prior. Imagine so, keeping that with you that fucking long. And that's, that's why I think it was like a lover's thing. I think that her short story was like very true. He pressured her at this exchange. Yeah. They got into the argument. He called his brother out the argument drunk. They probably got into like a drunken fight, which bound up. You know, I'm getting shot, and she just instead of wanting to, you know, but at times too, she probably knew that she would go to jail for this. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. like, yeah. on one hand, like when you conceal a body, you are guaranteeing that you will be found guilty for murder. Oh, yeah. But like, considering like where she was and the times, 
like I I don't even like, if, it's, even that if would she, be even a big said, risk yeah, to yeah. yeah to say even if it was self defense because she still would get the most likely get the yeah. book bonus. yeah well because they always try to use um like people people's differences as like a cause for their actions or whatever I mean like the whole thing with the the staircase they tried to use yeah, like, the like, like right like yeah. Like right now, right now it's hard for like transgender people to go to prison. Like they have to be like secluded in like their own self for their own safety. So imagine what it was like back then. Yeah, I would say if they even made yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I think I, I really think it was like you know he got violent with her. It was self defense, and instead of going to the police, decided just to hide the body. I'm just very curious of why she didn't like set up some type of contingency of getting rid of it. She had 15 to 25 years to, like, drag it down the stairs. But I guess, like, you right. always know where it is. It's not like someone's going to discover it. You know what I mean? Like, in the sense that, like, if you leave it True. in, like, the ground of your old apartment, eventually someone might accidentally dig it up. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, see, I was also, I was on, like, Reddit and shit looking at this case, people, other people's theories. And some people were like, oh, she was probably selling his organs. <laughs> to like pay for her dresses yeah, and sure. shit. I was like, that's a that's a bit of a reach. <laughs> I'm, I'm not positive that Doreen had access to the black market. <laughs> you know what it kind of makes me think of? Like, I, I'm so terrible at like I reference like so many things, but um it makes me think of that story from like scary stories to tell in the dark of the girl with the green ribbon. It's like like that that dark secret oh, yeah, that yeah. like Nobody's ever allowed to go into her trunk, but instead it's like, One well, that yeah, that girl. It's like, you untie the ribbon, her head falls I, off. I'm not gonna lie, honestly, I would, I would Dark love stuff. to see this into like, I would love to see this portrayed as like an A24 movie, because mm-hmm. in my mind, there's, there's something so cinematic about like a woman going through her makes good clothes and dresses to look for something to wear for a dead friend, cover the cross. To just like mentally, just imagine having that just sit in your head. And not only sit in your head, but sit in your apartment. <laughs> My anxiety would be through the roof. Like it reminds me of a case that we actually covered of uh, Andre Melendez. Oh yeah, he was he was known by as Angel, and he was a part of like the club kid scene in New York at the time, and like kind of very like a lot of overlap between those two communities of like you know, drag performers and like, you know, party kids and the unfortunate violence that happened in so much um, of those communities. Um, And, uh, oh, also quick shout out, Paris is Burning. You can find free copies of it on YouTube. If you guys have never like watched it before. It's good, no, it's it's really good. It's it's like a little documentary on a, a subculture that if you don't have any exposure to, like that is as close up and personal as you can get to it. That that was our episode of conspiracy. It was I, I liked it. It was a lot more uh, laid back and stripped down. I really like this episode a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I felt like the whole time I had to like defend that I'm not a crazy. Person. Um, same. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, this is a no glass gaslighting zone. You're all right. You're safe here. Just like some people believe the CIA. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. But <laughs> <laughs> there's so many just like like disclaimers for this episode yeah for Look, i'm at the preface it's a lot a lot of trigger words Ooh, yeah <laughs> be, also, beware of rabbit hole i just want to tell people like do not buy that book 
please. If you can find a free yeah. copy, I don't care, but like, do not fucking pay for that book. Granted, they did- Did you find it? Where'd you find it? I um had a friend whose father passed away and, and I didn't know what it was. They were like, I'm giving away their books. So I took some of them and I saw this. And I, I had no idea what it was until last. Can you send it to me in the mail? Uh, yes, I will finish it first, but. I'll pay for the shipping and I'll send it back. Well, yeah. We, so. we come back and Robert, I mean, not Robert, Battle has like bleached his skin. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, Sammy Sosa, no. Yeah. You see, like, he had perms. He gets a perm and straightens his hair out. He, he turns into like normal SpongeBob. He's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Smooth SpongeBob, where he's like. But yeah, I mean, I like, like oh. I said before, I usually want to. Go ahead, Kelly. I was gonna say the the other the thing that I thought was interesting is that this only happened recently, I believe. After it was actually after, um, I believe the the, in insurrection. Thank you. I was gonna say inauguration, but I was like, nope, that's not right. Um, after the insurrection, Amazon stopped providing this book as something you could purchase. Only recently, okay. though. I, I, don't, I don't give much praise to Jeff Bezos, but... No. It was oh, no, no. <laughs> it was a PR to my but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, that was, uh, that was our episode. You know, normally, like I said in previous episodes, I would want to, like, end with, like, an organization to shout out. But... Um, this is a conspiracy thing. <laughs> it just feels weird, but like, I don't think there's any organization supporting healthy conspiracy theories. Uh, all I'll say is, you know, if you have HBO Max, watch that QAnon documentary. It's really good. Me and Battle were talking about it the other day. But yeah, no, that was the episode. Uh, check out the Patreon if you want to support the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, check us out on social medias and uh, enjoy the music coming up. See ya. Bye. Bye. Time now for your latest weather forecast. Wondering if thousands of miles away, the sky's just as blue. It's as if I'm stuck in yesterday when I'm thinking of you. Cause when you have your morning coffee, I'm turning out the lights so I could dream. And when you smile through the screen, I wish you could be with me. So I lay my head to rest when the sun is rising. I'll start a brand new day when the moon is shining. I long to be with you in all the places you have been. So today I am Closing your eyes, I will be beside you And my heart will glide across the miles To fly right to you Cause when I dive into the traffic The echo of your voice is all I hear I'm never tired of your laughing so far But ever so near So I lay my head to rest When the sun is rising I'm
Today 